Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well. Today we will once again be in the 12th chapter in the Gospel of Mark, looking specifically this morning at verses 35 through 37, or at the section, Whose Son is the Christ? Which comes to us today following Jesus Christ being bombarded, if you will, with a series of antagonistic questions after he arrived at the temple. The first round of antagonistic questions coming from the Sanhedrin church or for, from members of the Jewish high court who came up to Jesus Christ after he cleansed the temple and asked him at the end of Mark chapter 11, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them? To which, following the Sanhedrin claiming that they did not know the answer to Jesus' question in verse 30 about the baptism of John being from heaven or from man, Jesus Christ eventually then just said back to them in verse 33, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Only then for a group of Pharisees and Herodians church to come up to Jesus Christ in order, as we see in Mark chapter 12, verse 13, to try to trap Jesus Christ in his talk by asking him, as we see in verse 14, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? To which Jesus Christ eventually responded back to them by saying in verse 17, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. And yet the antagonistic questions to Jesus Christ, for they do not end there, but instead a group of Sadducees then, church, or a group of individuals, verse 18, who say that there is no resurrection from the dead, for they then come up to Jesus Christ, mind you, all in an attempt here, church, to try to discredit Jesus Christ by asking him, as we see in verses 20 through 23, that there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise... And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. To which Jesus Christ then responded back to them in verses 24 through 27 by saying in essence that they, the Sadducees, don't know the scriptures, that they don't know the power of God, that there is no marriage as we understand it today in the resurrection, and that the Sadducees then are quite wrong concerning their beliefs about the resurrection of the dead. And then last of all, a scribe then comes up to Jesus Christ. A scribe here being a teacher of the Mosaic law, and he, church, unlike the others, seemingly comes up to Jesus Christ here, not with an antagonistic question, but instead with a seemingly sincere one. That question being, as we see in verse 28, which commandment is the most important of all? To which Jesus Christ answers his seemingly sincere question here by saying in verses 30 and 31, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. To which following the scribe then, 
saying back to Jesus Christ in verse 32, you are right, teacher. No one then, church, verse 34, dared to ask Jesus Christ any more questions. However, simply because the Sanhedrin church and the Pharisees and the Herodians church and the Sadducees and the scribes church were all done asking Jesus Christ questions here, for that did not mean that Jesus Christ was done speaking in the temple at this time. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is truly God and truly man. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is truly God and truly man. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even keep one of our church Bibles as our gift to you this morning and to open that brand new Bible of yours at this time to page 849 and to join us as we as a church family hear the word of God together this morning. For again, we'll be in Mark chapter 12 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 35 through 37, where John Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what wonderful words to hear ringing through the sanctuary this morning. Holy, holy, holy are you the Lord God Almighty. Father, you are God. You are holy. You are separate from us, different from us. Father, your word says that you are light, and that in you are, is no darkness at all. And yet we can still come into your presence this morning, Father, and worship you, and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. We can pray, we can give offering this morning, we can sit under the teaching of your word, join you in fellowship at your table, because we have been adopted into your family by the atoning work of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who is God and who is truly man. Father, open our eyes this morning, I pray, to this Messiah that we worship, this Messiah who saved us, this Messiah who walked among us in order to save his people from their sins. Father, let us not 
narrow our thoughts at all to who this Jesus Christ truly is. Let us not dare think for a second that he is merely just some good man or some great man or prophetic man or angelic man. Let us not fall into the trap, Lord. Open our eyes, soften our hearts, and let us always be willing to receive Jesus Christ, to believe, to affirm, confirm, and to declare that Jesus Christ is the God-man, the one who saved us from our sins. Father, help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning. I pray that I am faithful to your text. I pray that it is encouragement to this dear flock this morning, and that this entire service, this entire sacrifice that we offer this morning to you, Father, is pleasing. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, although Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is truly man, for that does not mean that Jesus Christ is merely just a man. Again, point number one, although Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is truly man, for that does not mean that Jesus Christ is merely just a man. Verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? So again, as I mentioned earlier, although the questions directed to Jesus Christ are now done, since verse 34, no one dared to ask Jesus Christ any more questions, for that by no means meant that Jesus Christ was done speaking in the temple at this time. And I say that because, as we see in verse 35, Jesus Christ was now teaching in the temple and seemingly was teaching, as we go on to see in verse 37, to a great throng of people, church, or to a large crowd of people, church. And as Jesus Christ was teaching in the temple, he said, as we see in verse 35, for how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Or as the NASB puts it, for how is it? that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David. The scribes here being the teachers or the scholars of the Mosaic law, or as one commentator puts it, the teaching authority for Israel concerning the Mosaic law. Nevertheless, I realize that some of you might be sitting there this morning wondering, for why on earth does Jesus Christ ask this question here? Or what exactly was Jesus Christ getting at here in asking this question in verse 35? For how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Since the Old Testament scriptures are clear that the Christ, that the Messiah, that the anointed one would most surely be a physical descendant of King David. I mean, don't we see clearly in 2 Samuel chapter 7 when God made a covenant with King David himself that when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you? who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, so that your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever, and your throne shall be established forever. Or even in places like Isaiah 9, 
Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23, and Ezekiel 34, that the promised Messiah, that the shoot from the stump of Jesse, that he would most certainly be a physical descendant of King David. And the answer to all those questions are, of course, church. Which again leads to the question then, for what exactly was Jesus Christ getting at or saying? When he asked in verse 35, for how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? And seemingly what Jesus Christ was not saying here, as one commentator explains it, was that the title, the son of David, was inappropriate. Since Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the son of David. But instead what Jesus Christ was seemingly saying here, was that the scribal understanding of what it means to be the son of David and the Messiah was inadequate. Since many Jews expected a Messiah who was merely human. Now he was to be a great human, but still only a human. However, this view of the Messiah was and remains completely inadequate. And that although the Messiah... The Christ church was most assuredly to be a physical descendant of King David. To believe that he was merely just going to be a physical descendant of King David or merely just a human son that comes from the line of King David who would come to power politically, conquer and destroy foreign enemies militarily and lead the people of Israel nationally for that was to most assuredly then possess a deficient and inadequate and false understanding of who the Messiah would ultimately be. Nevertheless, before we go on here, I do want to focus briefly at this time, church, from a big picture perspective on the fact that although the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is not merely just a physical descendant of King David, or not merely just a human son from the line of King David, for that by no means negates the fact, church, or dismisses the fact, church, or nullifies the fact, church, that our Messiah, Jesus Christ, is still truly man. For as the former Liberty University professor Harry Williamton once shared, that in the latter part of 1971, an American astronaut by the name of James Irwin wrote a book entitled Moonwalk, where he described how he once left a beautiful and hospitable planet called Earth on July 26, 1971. And by the way of a special vehicle, Apollo 15, he touched down upon a dangerous and totally inhospitable place known as the moon. And that for three days he walked its rough surface and then returned home. And if rightly understood, the incarnation could well be entitled God's Earth Walk as it relates to the amazing story of how Jesus Christ left a beautiful and blessed place called heaven by the way of a special vehicle, if you will, the body being prepared for him in Mary's womb, and then touched down upon a sin-loving and God-hating planet called Earth. And that for the next 33-some years then, he traveled on its dusty roads, agreed to eat our food, to drink our water, to breathe our air, and to then go to the cross and have his face covered with our spittle, and his ears filled with our curses, all in order to save us from our sins. For this is the story and the glory of the incarnation, 
that God Himself took on flesh and dwelt among us. And what I want you all to realize here this morning, church, is that our Lord Jesus Christ needed to be truly man in order, as the New City Catechism puts it, so that in human nature he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin and also so that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. And thus be in all then of your Lord Jesus Christ this morning, church, who although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. Again, as the New City Catechism describes it, in order so that he might on our behalf identify with us, Christian, sympathize with our weakness, Christian, keep the whole law of God for us, Christian, and to ultimately then pay the penalty for our very sin, Christian. Which brings us to point number two. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is truly God and truly man. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is truly God and truly man. Verses 36 and 37. David himself in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So after Jesus Christ opened in verse 35, by saying, How can the scribe say that the Christ is the son of David? Seemingly referring to the scribe's insufficient understanding of the Messiah, particularly that the Messiah would merely be just a physical descendant or human son of King David. Jesus Christ then goes on to say, as we see in verse 36, For David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus Christ quoting here from Psalm 110, verse 1. And what Jesus Christ was initially pointing out here in verse 36 was that David, that being King David himself, or the one from whom the Messiah would indeed be a physical descendant of, that he, verse 36, in the Holy Spirit declared, or as the New Living Translation puts it, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said in Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. The reference to the Lord there, church, in Psalm 110, being to that of Yahweh or to that of God himself. And the reference to my Lord there, church, in Psalm 110, being in short, to that of the Messiah. And thus, if King David then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 37, calls him the Christ, the Messiah, Lord, declaring in whole there that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. For how then, as we go on to see in verse 37, is he, the Christ, the Messiah, David's son? And here's the point, church, that Jesus Christ is making here. As Daniel Lakin explains, that the Messiah is both David's son and David's Lord at the same time. 
I mean, think about it. What father would ever call his son or his great-grandson his Lord? And thus the Messiah is not simply David's son. He is David's sovereign. He is God's son who reigns as king, seated at his heavenly father, right, heavenly father's right hand. And thus David's words will not work if the Messiah is just a human being. For he has to be more, and this is where Jesus Christ is trying to take them. And thus, as we begin to wrap up point number two this morning, church, I'd again like to do so from a big picture perspective here. I begin with a story from the late Reverend Vincent Burton, who shared that when the first Christian missionaries went to Japan, that a young Japanese man who wanted to learn the English language from then was given a copy of the Gospel of John in order to translate into his own language. However, after a short time, this Japanese man became very restless and agitated while reading and translating this Gospel. Until one day he burst out with the question, asking the missionaries, for who is this man whom I have been reading about named Jesus? For you call him a man, but he most certainly must be God. And he was right, church, since Jesus Christ is most truly God. And Jesus Christ, he needed to be truly God, church, in order, again, as the New City Catechism puts it, that because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective, and also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. And that although Jesus Christ took on human flesh and dwelt among us so that he might on our behalf identify with us and sympathize with us, keep the law of God for us, and ultimately then pay the penalty of sin for us, for despite all of that, Jesus Christ never, ever, ever stopped being God, church, in order, again, as the New City Catechism describes it, for his obedience to the will of God to be perfect, church, his suffering at the hands of a holy God to be effective, church, and so that three days later, then he, Jesus Christ, could be raised from the dead, church, and thus again be in awe of your Lord Jesus Christ this morning, church, who truly is the radiance of the glory of God, the imprint of the nature of God, the image of the invisible God, and that in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and to perfectly and effectively then obeyed the will of God, bore the wrath of God, satisfied the holy justice of God, and who three days later then rose from the dead as well. And thus as we begin to close this morning, church, I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who is here first. And in essence, put it all together for you here at this time, non-Christian. And that I'd like to explain to you this morning what this God-man named Jesus Christ truly did accomplish while he lived and dwelt among us. And how you then, non-Christian, can be saved by this God-man named Jesus Christ for your very sins as well. And thus, non-Christian, I'll begin like this. That God the Father so loved this world that he willingly sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world as truly God and as truly man. 
to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sins by initially living for us the life that we could never live and that he, Jesus Christ, lived a life here on earth, non-Christian, that was holy and righteous and sinless and good and free from any kind of iniquity or wickedness, transgression or sin. And thus, because of that, he, Jesus Christ, then fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, merely keeping the law of God, all for the very children of God, for that was not all that the divine Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because Jesus Christ, also then non-Christian, paid the penalty for our sins that we could not pay by willingly taking our sins upon himself and by bearing the wrath of a holy God that we deserve for our sins, by being pierced and crucified, killed and crushed on an old rugged cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself, non-Christian, never, ever sinned. But in doing so, he, Jesus Christ, then satisfied the justice of our holy God and appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus because of that, three days later then, this sinless son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, since sin and death had absolutely no power over him, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his right righteousness in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, For as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so by considering at this time, for who do we believe and understand this Jesus Christ to truly be? Because as we saw in our text today, and as we can clearly see just by taking a quick look at some of the cults that are out there today, and at some of the world religions that are out there today, and even at some of the self-professing evangelical Americans that are out there today, that there are all types of inadequate and deficient and faulty understandings of Jesus Christ out there today. And thus, because of that, I just want to publicly and clearly affirm and confirm to each and every one of you here this morning that the Word of God teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ, that he embodied two perfect and distinct natures in one person, and that he most assuredly is truly God and truly man. 
And thus because of that, the church father, John Chrysostom, then once wrote, For I do not think of Christ as God alone or as man alone, but instead as both together. For I know that he was hungry, and I know that with five loaves he fed 5,000. I know that he was thirsty, and I know that he turned water into wine. I know that he was carried on a ship, and I know that he walked on the sea. I know that he died, and I also know that he was raised from the dead. I know that he was set before Pilate, and I know that he sits with the Father on his throne. I know that he was worshipped by angels, and I know that he was rejected by Jews. And for by reason of this, he is said to have been both God and man. And thus, in light of all that, for what do you truly believe then this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, about this Jesus Christ? For do you believe that he was only a prophet? Or do you believe that he fulfilled the law and the prophets? For do you believe that he was created by God the Father? Or do you believe that all things were created through him and that without him was not anything made that was made? For do you believe that he was only some kind of an angel? Or do you believe that he is superior to the angels since the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs? For do you believe that he is one of many ways to get to heaven? Or do you believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life and the only way to get to heaven? For do you believe that Jesus Christ was only some wise man or some kind man or some gifted man, created man, angelic man, moral man, or just some kind of really, really, really good man? Or do you believe that this Jesus Christ truly is the God-man? And I ask all of, the, all of you here that this morning, because as Kent Hughes writes, the very health of our souls rests on what we think and understand about Jesus Christ. For unworthy thoughts about Jesus Christ bring about soul sickness, and narrow notions about Jesus Christ narrow our love for him. And thus, let us be sure then, brother Christian, sister Christian, that we are not letting secular scholarship today, or the talking heads on TV today, or the know-it-all politicians today, the podcasters out there today, the YouTubers out there today, the social media posters out there today, or any other Joe Schmo with a website out there today convince us or persuade us, influence us or sway us into believing that Jesus Christ is anyone other than the one who was born of the Virgin Mary and whose name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us, and who God the Father himself would say to, for this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased because to confess or to believe that Jesus Christ is anything other than truly God and truly man is to be mistaken, misguided, misled, and to be an heir since Jesus Christ truly is God in the flesh who was born under the law for us, who kept the law of God for us, who paid the penalty of sin for us, appeased the wrath of a holy God toward us, and who three days later then rose 
rose from the dead and made resurrection life and adoption into the family of God possible for us. And thus because of that, for let us all realize and grasp and comprehend here this morning, church, that we do not just worship a good man, church, or a great man, church, or a wise man, a kind man, a humble man, or a moral man this morning, church, but that we instead worship the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation, church. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body never, ever, ever fall into the trap of narrowing or diminishing, reducing or decreasing our view of this God-man named Jesus Christ. But instead, let us be in all of the fact, Father, that we have a Messiah in Jesus Christ who willingly and who humbly took on human flesh and yet who never, ever sinned. But instead, he perfectly and completely kept the whole law for us, died in our place as our very substitute, only to three days later then be raised from the dead and to offer eternal life to all those who place their trust in him. And thus, although there are so many people out there today, Father, who think that your gospel is just too much to believe, Lord, help us to just cling to that gospel truth above all else, since as the infallible and the errant word of God ever so clearly proclaims, for there is only one God and there is only one mediator between God and man, and that mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how you could ever send your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to humble himself to the point that he would take on human flesh in order to live for us the life we couldn't live, to be the sacrifice for human sin to identify with us, to sympathize with us in our weakness. Father, how amazing that truth is. And the fact that he was not merely just a man, but he was God in the flesh. And he perfectly kept the law. And he effectively then, as a sacrifice, appeased the wrath of a holy God for sinful man who come to faith in him. We need a redeemer. We need a mediator. We need a savior and a Messiah who is truly God and truly man in order so that we can be saved from our sins, raised to resurrected life, and be adopted into the family of God forever. And that is exactly what you gave us, your son, Jesus Christ. Father, there is so much out there today pulling for our attention, telling us at this time that there is no way that Jesus could be anything more than a good man, a moral man, a perfect example for us to follow, a socially justice-minded man. And yes, Father, he was man, and he was perfect in all that he did, but he was truly God. And he is able to forgive us of our sins. Let us cling to that truth and to not fall into any of the traps that are out there today that cause us to narrow our view of who Jesus Christ is. Empower us, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.